The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. So, we just got done talking about love your neighbor, right? Right? Love your neighbor. Jesus talks about love your neighbor as yourself. We, we, we saw in the story of the Good Samaritan how Jesus encouraged, like this is what loving your neighbor looks like, giving of your time and your talent and your treasure, right? We looked at what it, looked, what it means when Jesus looked at his disciples around the table and he said, like, I have a new command, love one another. So, right, like this one another, this, this, this us, this follower of Jesus, this body of Christ, this family thing, like let's take it to the next level, right? Well, what we see in Acts chapter 4, and in, in, in where we're turning uh, today, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. What we see is that Jesus' early followers, Jesus' church, actually heard what he said, and then they went and did it. Like, and we see this picture. And so a few, a few times, you've already seen this once at the end of Acts chapter 2. We see it here, and we'll see it again in a few chapters, that Luke, the author of Acts, pauses in the storyline to give kind of a snapshot of what church life looked like at that point in time. And, and, he, and he highlights different aspects or whatnot. And um, the first time in Acts 2, he, he highlighted the, the being together and spending time together and eating in one another's house and the, 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 the importance of that aspect. Well, now um, a little bit of persecution has broken out a little bit and, and things are maybe a little bit more difficult. And now he's saying, okay, here, here's where things are at right now. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we come to this. And let me, let me start with just that first verse. It says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That sounds really poetic, doesn't it? That's so nice. They're all one in heart and mind. And you know what's really easy to do with scripture sometimes, not just this one, but a lot of them? Sometimes we can, we can start to run. We take one little snapshot of, of scripture and we can start run, running with what we would uh, assume. We got one before that. We don't want to give away the punchline yet. All right. I saw you guys are reading that screen way too long. It's a really short one. Okay. All the believers were one. All the believers were one in heart and mind. And it sounds really, it sounds pretty simple, right? One in heart and mind. It sounds pretty, again, poetic. It sounds like, sounds really nice. One in heart and mind. And then you start going like, we get, oh, this would this be really easy to do, right? We just start, let's, let's run with this a little bit. One in in mind. What does that mean? It means we have the same thinking, right? And man, I, I, if, if, if we got one in the same thinking, that means like we, the church, we've got we, we've to be in agreement, right? We've got to be in agreement on all things, right? If we're going to be the church, we, gotta, we have to have the same mind. Look at the, the early church. They had the same mind, which, I mean, I'm just running with this thing here, obviously. Like if they have the same mind, then that means that, that like they had the, they, they thought the same way about about all the things, right? Like one in mind clearly means that everyone in perfect agreement on every detail of every topic, obviously, right? Right, there's one mind. I mean, th this church, this was so cool because everyone was in perfect agreement on every detail of every topic, right? Obviously. 
you got to be a little bit careful. Sometimes we find ourselves with like, like, like reading Scripture from this utopian perspective of how we, what we want it to mean instead of just looking at the Scripture. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look further, but it, it, it happens so easy, right? Like this is what, I, I would love it for that to mean that. No, no, actually. Everyone in perfect agreement on every detail of every topic sounds amazing as long as everyone is in perfect agreement on my perspective of every detail of every topic, right? Like that sounds great. And some people, let's just be honest, some people have spent their lives church hopping looking for the church that has everyone with this, with, 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 on every detail of every topic alignment with my perspective. And they never find fulfillment in the body of Christ. Because we've assumed that this utopian perspective of, of this, and again, utopian only in our own mind. Utopia is really basically when everybody caters to me, right? This perfect perspective of, of what this looks like, that's not what it's saying. Right? Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Like Jesus in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. I think it's really convenient that when Paul was writing the Bible, he put chapter 12, talked about the same thing in both of those books. Easy to remember. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. The body of Christ. You know the metaphor, right? The hand can't say to the eye, you're not part of the body, right? We all have different parts. You, you guys, if you've been around the church very long, you, you know this concept, this metaphor of the body of Christ. But have you, have you ever considered about the fact that your body parts don't all have the same perspective of every detail of every topic? Let's think about pull-ups. Okay, your feet are probably like, yeah, let's do pull-ups. We look good, and I just hang around, right? Your arms and your shoulders are like, no, I hate pull-ups, not again. Let's go running. Let's get some cardio in. Your feet are like, nah, running's the worst. Your arms are like, I can run all day long. How about swimming? Your, your legs are like, oh my goodness, it takes all the weight off. There's like weightlessness. Your arms are like, that's fun, I get a splash. Your lungs are like, it's a death trap. Why is this fun? <laughs> right? Like, very different perspectives. Or, or ladies, you know, there's that pair of high heels. You're not just any pair of high I'm talking about that pair of high heels. You know what I mean? And your butt's like, oh, those make us look good. <laughs> and your feet are like, not worth it. Listen, not everybody part has the same perspective on everything. And the church is going to be the same way. So I'm going to start by preaching what this verse doesn't mean. I should be like, I don't want to be like an evangelist that just tours around. Let me tell you what this Bible verse doesn't mean. That's what it's, it doesn't mean. And I address that there because sometimes we allow this kind of like thinking to slip in. Like, like in order for us to be united, we have to have the same perspective on every detail of every topic. And it's just not true. Okay, but then it says this, but it says all the believers were one in heart and in mind. Heart, yeah, this is where the passion comes in. Now here's something else. I see, I see this happen a lot in, 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 in churches, in the church world, right? Like 
Like we, God has created each and every one of us, and, and, and I stole this, but I just, it, it resonated with me. Like our passions come from the fact that we all see the brokenness of the world in different ways. Have you noticed that? And a lot of it has to do with our, our, our background, our temperament, our personality, our upbringing, our, our past hurts, different things, experiences that we've had. But we all tend to see the brokenness of the world in a different way, which means we often see the remedy for that brokenness a little different, right? But here in the church world, because we derive our, our passion from Scripture, it's really easy to bash people over the head, even with our own biblical passions, can I be vulnerable here for a moment? I, I, I've wrestled with this at times in my life. I'm wanting to embrace this a little bit. I've wrestled with this at times in my life because it feels like, as a pastor, my greatest passion should be unsaved people coming to Jesus. Now, already you're like, I'm leaving this church. This pastor doesn't care about unsaved people. That's not the case, okay? I love the idea of people being lost and being found, of walking from darkness into light, like that is, that's why we do what we do. But you know what really gets my heart beating faster than anything else? Is, is, is when I see somebody, and I don't have the words for it yet, maybe someday when I'm old and wise, I can really figure it out, but like when somebody gets it, when, when the light bulb turns on, when somebody who's been around the church world for a long time and has done all the things and they smile and they, they work hard and they do all that kind of stuff and then God just like does that thing to their heart and all of a sudden it was like everything in the world changes because God just became real to them in a capacity that he's never been real before and it, re, it allows them to reinterpret everything they ever thought they knew about Jesus. That. I have goosebumps, you can't tell I have long sleeves because it's like fall time now, I love it. Um, but that is what gets me excited. When I want to see, it's a piece of the go and make disciples. Go and, and, and make disciples of all night. It's a piece of like, but I have that passion. I, I had to wrestle through that. Like I'm a pastor, it's supposed to be evangelism, right? No, I'm a pastor, it's supposed to be pastoring people, I think. But then there's other people who your passion's completely different. You see the marginalized in society and, and, and you see those who, who other people would say are, are down and outers. And maybe they're not actually that, but they see themselves that way. And your heartbeat is for them. And there's just a passion in you when you see the way that Jesus reaches out and he, and he revolves his ministry around that type of person. And everything in you is like, oh, this is what we need to be doing. And what happens, we, we tend to now think everybody else is so wrong because you don't have the same passion I do that is obviously God's heart. Others have passion for seeing our society uh, have godly laws and, and, and in the, that political, hey, that's, that's great, but let's be careful whether it's evangelism or discipleship or, or, or the, the marginalized or, 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 or godliness and political things, like whatever it is, listen, we're not supposed to all have the exact same passions. That, that, that's not unity, that's uniformity. If we had the same, if everyone had the same exact perfect agreement on every detail of every topic, we'd lose the richness of the body of Christ. Because not one person, not one personality, not one pers type can, can fully express 
the full nature of who God is, it requires a very diverse body of Christ to do it. So, now that I've thoroughly preached what this verse doesn't mean, let's get to what it does mean. All the believers were one in heart and mind. And this is where we got, this is again, a little Bible study tip. The first and best way to be able to understand a biblical text is to understand it in the direct context. Like it, that should be self-explanatory, and yet we, we butcher this all the time. We read one ver- line, one sentence, a phrase, and then we want to interpret it based on this one, this one, this one, this one, this one that we handpicked from all over the place. Let's start in the top context. Here's the context. He said all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, what exactly was he referring to? Like, what was he talking about? Well, you can tell by the rest of the paragraph what he was referring to. Now, I don't believe that the rest of the paragraph means like this is like the only expression of oneness in heart and mind. But he says this, that there are so, like this, I, this is the snapshot. Here's the caption. Let me put a caption over what the church was like right now. They were, they were one in heart and mind to the degree that it looked like this. Now, here's the this. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. That's a bold statement. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Here's a little side note. That, some phrase like that is sprinkled through like this entire book. Just be looking for it. Like, even when they're not talking about this topic, like the last phrase right before this verse, if, you, if you're reading in your Bible, right before this is, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That just is, that just seeps out and everything. So anyway, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, here's a little very specific situation of it. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means send them encouragement. Joseph sold a field he owned and brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Here's what I want to look at today. I want to look at four values that we must embrace if we want to live with one heart and mind. Four values that we must embrace if we want to live with one heart and one mind. We, we, we see a snapshot of the early church. Luke calls it living with one heart and one mind. But this is what it looked like. Here are the values that were at play. Like so many of us, like we want unity. We want unity. We want unity. But so often, if you, if you were to dig deep, if you're asked questions, you'd find out is, I want everyone to be like me. I want everyone to be like me. I want everyone to be like me. But unity is deeper than that. Unity is richer than that. And so let's look at the values that they put into play. First, first value you want to look at, it's just going to be from the overarching like text as a whole there in four, uh, Acts 4, 32 to 37. It's this, unity requires generosity. Isn't that just the, the theme of this, right? Like he says, like all the believers are one in heart and mind, and then he goes on to explain this ridiculous, over-the-top expression of generosity. 
But think about it. It makes sense. Unity requires generosity. The first value is generosity. Unity requires generosity. If, if, if you show me someone, or, or let's, let's, let's make it personal. If I recognize in myself some stingy tenden- tendencies, and then, you, and then somebody asks me about how unified I feel in the body of Christ, guess what? I bet my score is going to be pretty low. If, if, I, if, I'm, if I see somebody who's, who's being a hoarder of resources, which we've already kind of defined in the last few weeks, right, which I think we'll, we'll probably get some, some play out of this one, time, talent, and treasure. If I find myself hoarding my time, being stingy with my time, being stingy with my talents, my abilities, my energy, that which I have to offer other people, if I find myself being stingy with my uh, financial treasures, my resources, I can bet you I'm not feeling the love right now. There is a tie that Luke identifies here. There's a tie between unity and generosity. In fact, you can't be united when you're not living in generosity. You can wave the flag of unity, but if you're not living generously, you're probably, you probably even know deep down that it was nothing more than a facade. Because unity requires generosity. Here's the second one. I don't look at a specific verse here. Number two is this, stewardship, not ownership. Stewardship, not ownership. The second value we must embrace to live with one heart and one mind. Stewardship, not ownership. Listen to what it says. Verse 32, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Kind of a redundant statement. One talks about the action. One, the first part of it talks about the heart of the action. You see, so often we focus on the action. You need to give. You need to be generous. And what we really mean is we need to give. Give people things. Give people things. And in the world of, of, of excess that we live in today, we normally feel very generous when we give the things we no longer want or need. Isn't that kind of how our generosity goes? Like, when I'm done with it, when my kids grow out of it, you can have it. Aren't I so generous? You can have my trash. <laughs> right? Like, let's just, let's just call it like it is. I don't want this in my house any longer. Like, if you don't take it, I will throw it away. And I just go away feeling so good about myself. Isn't it funny how, like, we train our, our children, our toddlers, like to share, you need to share, you need to share, you need to share, until you get to a certain age, then we make sure we prepare them for the real world so that they can accumulate, 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 and accumulate. Is that not odd to anybody else? But it's what we do, it's the system we roll in. Like, you gotta learn to share, now you gotta learn to get stuff. And, and here's the hard part, because it says, like, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Your car, is that yours? Yeah, it is yours, kind of. Well, let me ask this. Where are you taking it after you die? You're giving it back. God will redistribute it wherever he wants it to, but you're not taking it with you. Again, it's, it's, it's classic. I, I brought nothing into this world. I can take nothing with me. Have you noticed, like, there, there's, there's, a, there's a, 
I don't have all the chapters and verses with me right now, but there's, there's a theme that Jesus uses when he tells a number of his parables. Like sometimes you're like, hey, look, he talks a lot about money and, and, and stewardship. Right? But here's, here's an interesting theme. He often talks about, um, like there was a master or there was a slave owner or there was a, a, a guy that was really powerful and he had managers and he had servants and he had employees. And guess what role he was always intending for us to identify with. It was the servant, the slave, the employee. It was the steward. And the master gave the one, whether the talents, or there's a variety of them that he does just like this. The master gives him his things to manage. And then says at the end of the story, like, how well did you handle the stuff that I gave you? Or, no, 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 sorry, entrusted to you. It never stopped being the masters. And yet, like, if we want to learn how to walk in unity, it starts with this, this underlying thing, this, this concept, I believe, in unity and in generosity, is that we need to understand that everything that I'm in possession of today is simply that, something I'm in possession of. Right? Like we can go all the way to like the fact of tithing. Like we, wanna, we don't want to tithe. I don't want to relinquish 10% of God's funds back to God. God didn't call us just to like give 10% of our stuff away. He said, you don't have stuff. Like that, that's a different way of thinking. And so this is how they live. This is like Jesus says, love your neighbor as your stuff. Take your, 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 your resources, your time, your talent, and treasure, and just give it all away. He says, uh, like this greater command I've given you for the, the, those within the household of believers, those who are following you, those who are in your local church, like this is how, like love one another as I've loved you. Give it all away. And so it's not just about giving. It's not just about sharing it's about shifting my perspective to understand that the things that I once said I own, recognizing I don't own a thing. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Here's the hard part. And again, I reference it a lot because I think it applies to us more than we want to or to. I, I, like identify with, but again, Jesus said, like, it's, it's easier for a camel to go to the eye of the needle than a rich person go to the kingdom of God. Like, here's the interesting thing. If you travel to places like very poor societies, you know what you'll find? You'll find a sense of generosity and sharing greater than you will in affluent communities. And, and I'm not a sociologist. I'm, I'm not going to tell you exactly all the reasons why I don't fully understand that, but I do understand it's an obstacle. Like I remember going to, to, to Pastor Fernando's house, and Fernando and Yoli's, their, their older house, and it was very, very small. Their kitchen and dining room or whatever, just one little block room. And they had this little house, this little table for typically them and maybe another pastor or a couple that comes in. But like when our teams would come, they'd want to host us. And so like they would take their dining room table and they'd, they'd get a couple guys from the church and they would take their dining room table out of the room. And, and then like you'd wait for about 10 minutes and then these two guys would come from, I don't know, somewhere in the village carrying somebody else's dining room table that they lent to the pastor so that they could host the missionaries that were in his home. I'm talking this table was like two feet by two feet short of the wall on all four sides. <laughs> and we'd cram around this little table. Like nothing they owned were theirs. 
Hey, what do you need? I got that. What do you need? I got that. Here, take this. And when you're done with it, you can give it back. Or, you know what? I'll buy another one. I don't know. Or or borrow something else. Like this mentality. But the more stuff we accumulate, the more we now need to go out and buy a labeler to make sure we label everything so that we can keep track of all of our stuff. Like it is just way easier to just think like, I don't own anything. God, like whatever. Okay, so here's a, a mentality thing. I know you're probably already thinking through like, what does this logistically mean? I don't know. It's a mentality shift and let God lead us past that. It's not about stewardship. It is about, or it's about stewardship, not about ownership. I own nothing. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord. I love this one too, right here. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now, if you were to stop, then I realize a couple different translations list this different, put periods in different places. Listen, don't get bent out of shape out of that. It's just language, not theology. The message is the same. God's grace is so powerful at work within them all, period. If I just take that sentence and I don't look at what comes next, you know what, I, as, as, a, as a church lifer, as somebody who grew up in the church, somebody who knows how to preach, any Christian-y sounding line, I could go with this one, right? God's grace is powerfully at work in them. That's right. They were receiving God's grace and there was freedom and transformation that took place. Man, God's grace. Think about the concept of God's grace. He overlooks our sin. He gives us what we don't deserve. He's so gracious to us. And in that grace, he sets us free. And I have freedom from my sin and I have freedom from my 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 bondages that I keep other people in that also actually bondage me up. But God's grace set me free from these things. God's grace set me free from my unhealthy thinking. And man, God's grace is so powerfully at work in me. I'm telling you, I can preach anything. Problem is, that's not what he's talking about. Because when we think of God's grace powerfully working in me, I think of all that is happening in me, naturally. Look what Luke says. It says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. He wasn't talking about God's grace working in me for me. He was talking about God's grace working in me through me. Here's the deal. Grace is kind of a come and go kind of thing. Like, it is really hard to be generous to others over time, if you've not actually fully received God's grace. Because then generosity becomes works. And it'll works wears you out. Grace replenishes. So if there's no grace coming in, then it's probably works going out. And just wait you'll wear out. The key to generosity and our third value is grace in, grace out. Grace in, grace out. Now, here, now here's, here's a couple scenarios that, that, that may make it look a little bit different, right? There's some of us, we've received God's grace, but we're just like grace killers, right? 
We're just like, grace, come. I am like the grace black hole. God, come on, grace. Give me all you got. And then it just dies with me. See, there's a part of it, I, I believe, we, especially for salvation. We receive so much grace and salvation. It is more than I will ever fully be able to recognize in my entire lifetime. And I'll tell you this. In my life of pursuing God and pursuing the grace of God in my life, you know a couple things that I've, I've come to realize. One is that I'm nastier than I think I, I thought I was. And two, his grace is bigger than I ever could have imagined. And three, every seasoned believer who's further down the road than me will tell you that it only gets deeper and bigger from here. You will never fully understand, at least this side of heaven, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll get a better, clearer picture someday as we stand before him. But this side of heaven, we're never going to fully, it is a lifelong pursuit that none of us will ever fully grasp. So there's an element of it, like I, I, I've fully received God's grace, but, but the measure of my understanding and appreciation of God's grace is directly proportional to the amount of grace I'm able to give others. So it's not always just a matter of giving, receiving, and then giving. Part of it is just a matter of understanding the grace that God has extended to me so that I can extend it beyond myself. And here's the thing. We want to talk in like, like, um, uh, like, like principles and philosophical deals. And like that sounds nice. He's talking about tangibles. If I'm a recipient of God's grace, if I begin to realize, even though obviously, like you, I have the right perspective on all things, all things, right? Like we all, like we all think we do. When I begin to understand that, man, just even the reasoned way that I think through something is so flawed, and even when I self-righteously begin to declare what I think is right, I, God begins to work in my heart and show me my dependency on him and show me the ways that I twist things from my own perspective and advantages. And I, when God begins to deal with some of the, the thing, my thought processes that are not healthy, and when God begins to do so, I just find myself like, God, your grace is so big. And when I'm willing to look at that, how do I not give to the person sitting next to me? When, I, when, I'm, when I'm willing to look at my mess and look at God's grace, how, how can I say, no, this is mine? You figure out your own way. Like it, it doesn't even make any sense. And so as Christians, God has called us to walk in unity. And so, so that part of it, it, I mean, it starts with this generosity, this, this not a steward, but ownership. But, but even now that I'm a steward, I, I, I realize I have to receive and, and become aware of and even sometimes just meditate on the grace of God so that I can give it out to myself or give it out to the other people. Now, can I just give you a little tidbit? Self-awareness goes a super long ways in valuing and understanding grace. Self-righteousness is like a grace blocker. Okay? You want to shield yourself. You want to shield yourself from the grace of God. Put on a heavy dose of self-righteousness and you won't ever have to worry about God's grace. Right? 
Self-awareness is one of the most significant, and I'm not trying to get into like philosophical stuff, but like you just got them broken. The self-awareness to say, you know what, every time this topic comes up, I feel internally, though I can't even identify where they're coming from, walls that, that, that go up around my heart. You know what it is? That you need to be aware of those things. Right? You need to be like, God, why? <laughs> why are all those defenses coming up? What is it about this issue? Man, have I, have I experienced some hurts in the past that would cause the, oh, yep, there they are. And when we are able to identify like, man, this wound or this brokenness or this, this word that I thought wasn't a big deal, but for some reason it keeps playing over and over in my mind. And I said I've forgiven it and I said it doesn't bother me. And yet every time something resembling this pops up in my life, I go dark. Listen, that's where you start to begin to receive the grace of God. That is not so that you can be a victim for your whole life. That's so you can identify the places where you've shielded yourself from the grace of God. So you can say, God, would you tear those walls down so I can receive your grace in this area so I can find healing from my, from my heart? Listen, when you begin to receive healing, when you begin to receive the grace of God for some of those areas in your life, like I'm telling you, once you taste it, once you see it, once you experience it, once you find freedom in your own heart and in your own life, once you begin to receive grace, not just for salvation, but for freedom, emotional freedom, spiritual freedom, forgiveness in these areas of your life, try to not be generous. It doesn't make any sense. Grace in, grace out. Four values we have to, we must embrace to live with one heart and one mind. Unity requires generosity, that's the first one. Stewardship, not ownership. Number three, grace in, grace out. Number four, humility and trust. So it says, and God's, God's grace is so powerful at work in them all that those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale and, and put it, notice this is, this is the first of two times it says this, and put it at the apostles' feet. And then it was distributed to anyone who had need. Then they give a specific example. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of Kermit, sold a field he owned and brought the money. And what did he do with it? He put it at the apostles' feet. Now listen, I'm going to talk practical here. Why am I using this verse? It's not because I want to twist arms or for leverage. It's because this was the next verse in the book of Acts that we're preaching. And I love that about this. I can always just blame the Bible. <laughs> because I want to talk here for just a moment about your money and spiritual authority, which, like, if you want to be a safe preacher, those are two topics that you don't talk about. I mean, the only way it could get worse if I want to, like, tell you who to vote for while speaking in tongues. I don't know. But, <laughs> but this is what it's talking about. So are we free to talk about what the Bible talks about? Okay. Here is the practice and the expression of being one in heart and mind, okay? When they were one in heart and mind, generosity flowed. When generosity flowed and they weren't owners of their own stuff, right? They, they allowed God's grace in so that they could give grace out. The practical application of that was they did, and again, I'm not gonna, this isn't a shakedown. It says from time to time. I'm not saying everybody go sell your houses and give me all your money. Like that's, that's not the application here, okay? This is from time to time. So God put it on somebody's heart to, to give a, 
a financial gift above and beyond in order to bless the church and the people of the church, right? This, this happened here and there. And it was more than just like a, uh, every so on, like from time to time, this thing would happen and large sums of money would come in. And when it did, I want you to know how it happened. They brought, they brought their money, the sale of the property, and they put it at the apostles' feet. It says this twice, and I think it's significant. And it's gonna say it here in just another few verses. There's something about this, and there's something about this that we don't really like today, and it oftentimes causes us to bristle a little bit. One, our own money does, and two, authority does. But the Bible talks a ton about both, okay? So whether this is your tithe, whether this is giving above and beyond, like here's a principle here. When you give, whether it's to the church, listen, there are amazing organizations here in Lincoln that we give, that we, that we bless, like, um, Pregnancy Center, uh, City Impact, uh, uh, City Mission. Like there, 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 there's fantastic places. And I know that a lot of you give beyond just the church. Do you give other places in town? I think that's fantastic. So whether that's, so I'm, I, I, there's a principle here. This is not just like, come give me your money. This is when you give, there's an appropriate manner in which to do it. With humility and trust. They sold their this guy sold his property. And he said, hey guys, like you're the, you're the leadership of this movement here. You just do whatever you need to do. And then he walked away. One of the yuckiest things that you could get yourself involved in is giving with strings attached. I would say everyone loses, but you know what? Your gift is going to bless somebody, and I'm sure. But listen, there's a lot more losers than need to be, <laughs> right? So let me just encourage you something. If you want to experience the oneness of heart and mind, then there's some principles here that you need to learn. In your giving, in your generosity, if you want to experience unity, you've got to learn to be humble and trusting. And I realize that's hard today with like, oh, you see all the scandals going around and every single pastor who's ever taken money from this account and put it over there is, is on the headlines. I, I, I get it. And that begins to, to slowly in the back burner begin to erode our trust of spiritual authority. But there's a principle here that got established that as we come under the authority of those that God has placed as a spiritual covering over us, there is a blessing in that. And so here's, here, I'm gonna just give you a practical tip. We really love, and, and people today are really into designating giving. Okay, so I'm gonna take crossroads out of this. I don't want it to get weird. Okay, I'm gonna take crossroads out of this. Let's say we're giving to another organization. Let's say we're giving to City Impact, doing great work in the in, in middle of town and, and, and blessing a lot of people. And I, my family, we want to give to them, right? I could give and say, I want to give this to this program over here because I see this need and, and whatever. Or, I mean, I know people in my life who, who've gone through X, Y, and Z, so I'm going to give to this thing. So I'm going to give it to this organization. I'm going to tell you where to spend it. First of all, legally, they can still do whatever they want to with it. But integrity-wise, they're probably going to honor your request. But there's something to be said if we understand principle number two, that is not my money. I was just in possession of it. And I'm gonna trust that the Holy Spirit of God, who's speaking to me, 
is also speaking to the leader who's over the ministry that I'm giving to and that they are going to be led by the Holy Spirit to do what they want with it. Now, let's just break it down to practical stuff. Okay, this is less spiritual. Okay, everybody wants to pay for ministry. Nobody wants to pay for administration. Without administration, ministry doesn't happen. Do you trust? And if you don't trust the leaders of the organization that you're giving to, you should probably give somewhere else. But if you trust enough to give, you should trust enough to trust that the Holy Spirit who speaks to you is going to speak to them. Do you trust that those who are making decisions, again, if I'm giving to City Impact, those who are, I'm going to trust that even though I've got something, a passion of mine that they do, pregnancy center. Hey, oh, man, I realize how hard it is. Diapers are so expensive. I want to I wanna give this money. I want you, the pregnancy center, I want you to go buy diapers. I want you to buy newborn diapers for, for moms who are having a baby who aren't, who aren't uh, expecting it and can't afford diapers. That sounds like a great thing to like give money to, right? But if I were to ask Randy who works there, she'd be like, don't give money for newborn diapers. We have them busting at the seams. So I could say, oh, what do you need for? Give it to, no, I'm just going to be like, here, here, here. I trust you. If you, want, if you want to experience fullness in the unity of the body of Christ, it's not going to happen without trust. If you always think somebody's going to mishandle your resources that aren't actually yours anyway, want to like wave the flag of unity like you'll never you'll never experience the fullness of the, the richness of the unity of the body of Christ it requires humility to say I don't I don't see everything nobody likes to admit that <laughs> I don't see all the angles I don't know what the needs are here what we do I assume that I know everything that I can see everything and so I'm going to invest my resources in, in this super specific, like friends, if we're going to be the body of Christ within the local church or within the city, the, the church of Lincoln and these different organizations and whatnot, like let's, can we be people that say like, let, let's make it as easy as possible for those who are on the front lines of ministry to mobilize resources to accomplish the task and the mission that God has put on their heart. Because when we give, it's, it's not as much about material resources as it is investing in people, in leaders, and saying, I've got you, not you can have this. You see the difference? And this is what was happening in the early church. It says all the believers were one in heart and mind. We want unity, but, without, but we don't want to hold the values that lead to unity. We want unity without generosity. We want unity, but we want to hold on to ownership. We want unity, but we want just grace in. We want unity, but assuming that I have all the answers. And then we're going to be frustrated. I want to be a church. How about you? I want to be a church that is known as the church that is one in heart and mind. Variety of opinions on a variety of subject matters. 
some that have a passion for evangelism, to reach the lost, and some that have a passion to disciple uh, new believers, and some that have a passion to go impact our city, and some that have a, a, a passion to, to reach the marginalized. I want, I want a church that is unified and diverse. I want a church that values the different perspectives and the different passions that God has specifically placed in each and every one of us. But friends, it's going to require some things of us. It's going to require generosity, stewardship, not ownership. Grace in, grace out. Humility and trust. But it's worth it. But it's worth it. Because Jesus himself said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So friends, it's not time to try to build his church our way. If we want a church that the gates of hell won't stand against, it's time to build his church his way. God, this is yours. It's all yours. Your church, us, this body, this people, it's yours. It is all yours. God, teach us to walk in unity. We value it. Don't get me wrong, God. We value it. We value theoretically diversity. God, teach us to walk in, in the values that, that enhance diversity. Teach us to be people who value the variety of passions that exist within this body. Teach us to live as people who don't hold tight to the resources we have, both material and the immaterial ones. Teach us to live with open hands because I own nothing. It's all yours, God. This church, everything we've got, it's yours. Do with it whatever you want. But make us one as you are one. Father, we love you and we love what you're doing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.